Hello and welcome to another edition of the Stats of War podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stats of War. Pretty great weekend for the Frogs. They go in and they face a Purdue team who is struggling to find itself defensively, lost a couple key guys, was playing without quarterback Elijah Sendelard, and uh, TCU did what they should have to a to a bad team. They uh, just ran all over them. Some qualms of the passing game, but we'll get into that. But overall, 2-0, and and that's a good thing for a program to beat, uh, or so they say. I've got a really great podcast episode tonight. Uh, a couple of programming notes. First, um, Grant McGalliard is back on the podcast tonight, and he will be on the podcast for the rest of the season. We've uh, officially added him. Grant and I are teaming up, joining forces, and so I'm excited to, to get to podcast and talk about the Frogs with Grant for the rest of the season. Um, later on in the show, I have Edward Egros of Fox Sports Southwest uh, and some other places. His videos are all over. He does a bunch of sports analytics, baseball, NFL, betting, all sorts of stuff. Really, really sharp guy. He comes on and talks to us about the game. And then finally, I have Billy Embody of 24-7 Sports who covers LSU and SMU. Uh, and he comes on and talks about SMU, TCU, and just gives us a, a preview from a... Um, a more outsider perspective, which you really appreciate. So three great interviews, a stacked lineup of guests. I hope you enjoy. Follow all of our preview content on frogsaward.com coming up for the game this weekend. And uh, get to the Carter and root loud. It's going to be potentially wet, potentially pointy, a lot of fun this weekend. All right, I'm going to get out of the way and let the podcast happen. I've got Grant McGalliard here with me. Grant, how's it going this evening? It is going great, Parker. How are you? I'm doing super well. Uh, I'm I'm actually I'm a little bit on cloud nine right now. I have to tell you this uh, first thing off the bat. Jalen Rager just retweeted me uh, and unsolicited. I didn't tag him or anything. I just wrote about his name. I, I took the clip of the play where he was uh, he had three defenders on him and uh, he he retweeted that. He he evidently liked that a lot. So uh, I feel I feel pretty great. I'm also pretty excited, Grant, because. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to announce to the listeners that you're going to be a regular on the Stats of War podcast for the rest of the season, at the very least. So um, that's pretty excited, man. And I'm glad to I'm glad to have you. And I know that people enjoy hearing your perspective. Uh, and so I'm excited to shut up and let you talk. Thanks, Parker. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're having. Um, I had a debate coach or a debate judge one time when I was in high school tell me that uh, he liked everything I had to say, but he hated the sound of my voice. Um, so as long as our Stats of War listeners uh, like what I have to say and they can stand the sound of my voice, I think we're going to have a great season. So yeah, I'm pretty pumped. That's great. That's awesome, man. <laughs> well, um, cool. Let's dive into let's dive into Purdue. So TCU goes into Purdue. They face a a team with some uh, injuries, a team missing their starting quarterback, missing a couple contributors, and uh, they go in and do exactly about what you would expect to a team that is missing uh, a bunch of their run defenders and missing their quarterback. So give us your big thoughts on the on the game on TCU's 34-13 win. Yeah, I think you and I both talked about how um, Purdue is a very one-dimensional team and that if you can take away the passing game, they don't have a lot going on offense. Um, I think also both of us probably predicted a little bit closer, but, you know, TCU held Purdue to 23 rushing yards. Um, entering the fourth quarter, Purdue had, I believe, zero rushing yards on the game. Um, so the game was won and lost to the line of um, TCU blocked well for the running backs and didn't allow Purdue to get anything going on offense. And it was a classic Gary Patterson win. Dominating defense, offense played fine, and come out 34-13 and you're 2-0. Definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, you can't 
you know, it's hard to take a ton away from the game given how much Purdue was missing and that their offense wasn't the normal high octane unit that we that we'd expect it to be. But also, you can't um, you can't fully discount you can't penalize TCU for no. taking it to a team. Um, and I mean, at, at, for the second half, just kind of cruising, trying to hold the ball and scoring uh, scoring twenty one points was was impressive. Um, yeah, talk about that run game, man. Uh, over three hundred over three hundred yards had two backs with over a hundred yards. Uh, TCU was averaging, I believe, over six yards a carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, and Mary Darmar- DeMarcado came in at the end and had six carries for 33 yards. Everybody kind of got in on the rushing action. Um, and so that was a really, really strong suit. The offensive line looked as good as I think uh, I, I think a unit can. That was really, really exciting. Yeah, it was. And and like you said, you know, both Anderson and, uh, and Alana Lua went over 100 yards. Um, and, and to me, the, the impressive part was that I think TCU mixed it up enough to where you weren't like, OK, this is going to be a, a Shaywo play. You know, this is a power run or whatever. Or, you know, this is going to be an Anderson play. We're going to run it outside. Um, to me, watching on my couch, like I was also not caught off guard, but I, I didn't know where TCU was going next. And I think they kept Purdue on their back feet, um, blocked well. And, and you talked about that as well, the importance of TCU showing something new on offense. And I think at least in the run game, they did that, which I'm sure you were very happy about. Definitely. Yeah. I tweeted that I owed Sonny Cumbie a little bit of an apology. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. fully there, but uh, like, I think, I think he and I are still broken up, but you know, we might be texting. Uh, right. But no. So uh, I, I, yeah, I, I loved that they had, um, Gosh, forty-seven. Whose names always whose name always escapes me. Whatever random guy, random random white guy H back that we always have that has been here for fifteen years. Hold on. Hold uh, on. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I got to find it because it made me mad because he has been there since I think I was a freshman, and that was what yeah, eight he, years ago. He had to have had. I mean, well, it's like Luke Shivers was forty-seven, and yeah. then I, I want to say like one of the Fultz, like somebody's somebody's brother was 47 mm-hmm. for a while and it's just been the same exact guy and while you're looking that up what he does is he's basically a pulling guard that lines up outside the tight like outside the tackle mm-hmm. and so there was a couple plays that we hadn't seen before where they weren't just running straight zone dive they ran a little counter um mm-hmm. i loved a jet sweep uh i loved a jet sweep fake. yeah i think yeah. i think running both of those together was confusing enough that even if the line is just zone blocking and you have a guy crashing, um, and you're not even running like a true power or a counter, you're just running the zone, having the threat of Jalen Rager getting the ball at a full running start and going around the end frees up so much space in the middle there. Um, so I, I was encouraged to see some of that in the running game for sure. Yeah. So you're talking about Carter Ware, who is yes. 6'4", 254 pounds, sophomore yeah, from Liberty is. Hill. Um, although three different inc- incarnations of Carter Ware have won 47 before. Um, you mentioned getting, or at least faking, or, 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 or you know, kind of threatening to give Rager the ball behind the line of scrimmage. But I saw you tweeting about how we need to give Rager the ball past the line of scrimmage. I mean, were you happy in the passing game, or were you, you know, what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's the big that's the big caveat. I tried to be very precise there and say sure. I like seeing that with the rushing game because Max Duggan's QBR was 20.2. TCU completed mm-hmm. two balls past 20 yards. Um, and uh, the long was, was that third was the, the long was a, uh, was a 22 yard play. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't even really a passing play. That was just a complete defensive breakdown. That was beautiful. And it was great. Right. And TCU totally right. set it up and it should have been a defensive breakdown. But, uh, you know, this offseason, we heard some rumors about Malcolm Kelly's on the staff. We got a wide receivers coach. We're going to be going downfield. And, uh, Man, we we did not look too good downfield. No, and 
you know, I. It's so hard because the stats clearly show that the TCU passing game was bad. But even, like I said, sitting on my couch, I was able to talk myself into, yeah, but Duggan still looks good. Like, I think I'm sure it's probably been beaten to death online. And, um, but he's got so much arm strength and he's just humming balls off receivers' hands. And you can teach touch. I mean, you can teach him to throttle back a little bit, you can teach him where to put that ball. But, you know, there were a couple of drops, both for him and Delton. And, I, you know, I, I don't think it's as bad as the numbers show, but it was still bad, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a complete disaster, but there's still clearly room for improvement, um, whether we go with Duggan or Delton moving forward. Definitely. Yeah. And it looks like some news at a press conference that they're going to start Delton again. And hopefully, I mean, again, we said this all offseason. Duggan's going to get phased in if that's what's going to yeah. happen. He's going to take over. And as long as it's before conference play, that's fine. So we have one more week. Duggan starting against Kansas, all is right. We're good. That's fine. Um, well, I, I, okay. I agree, but I, I, no, I just will say this. I mean, I, yeah, we're in agreement on that. On That's what we think the plan is. But Duggan, I mean, he threw 18 passes, Delton threw six. You know, yep. Duggan was on the field for the majority of that game, and especially when the game wasn't decided yet. You know, it was 13 to six at the half, and Duggan played the majority of the second and third quarters. Um, you know, the fact that they have enough confidence to throw him in that game means they know he's good, or at least they know he will be the starter at some point, I think. Um, and it's it's very frustrating that they still kind of have to adhere to the plan of phasing Duggan in when clearly they want him to be the guy, I, 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 at right. least in my opinion. But I, I'm not in the coach's room. so Right. Um, but, yeah, I think, the, I think the downfield passing attack was, was really stunted. Um, one in volume. So TCU threw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven passes – past 20 mm-hmm. yards um two of those were were just outright drops mm-hmm. um man uh hunt has got to work on his hands i don't want to put yeah. a dude on a spot but no good night you are tall and athletic as i'll get out and you are open all the time dude uh-huh. catch the ball mm-hmm. um or you know you're trying your best we we like you we support you catch the ball right um uh, yeah the other one that stands out to me is that uh rager long pass on the to, to Duggan's right side. Yes. And I had that clocked as like a 37 yards in the air attempt. That was maybe a quarter of a foot past yeah. Rager. They even said on the broadcast, you know, if he had laid out for that, he might've had it, but I think he was thinking, catch it in stride, go to the end zone. Right. Sure. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of like a miscommunication. That's, you know, that's a, that's not a talent thing. That's a timing thing. Right. And so I think, think stuff like that improves, but you know, that ball gets caught. One of those hunt balls gets caught. The Darius Davis, where Duggan has this awesome Favre rollout, comes across mm-hmm. his body and throws a completely catchable ball that just gets lost. Yeah. Um, I think any of those three would have extended drives or turned uh, field goals into touchdowns, and we'd be having different conversations, which, you know, I, I'm not sure I was giving that hermeneutical generosity to Alex Delton after the UAPB game, uh, as, as it were. But right. I still can say, yeah, it wasn't entirely Duggan just throwing just – just buzzing balls in there. There was some, yeah. there was some drop issues as well. There were. And, and look, Delton, like I said, one for six, five yards and a pick. Um, that's not a good game. You know, they probably had one drop and, and, and the pick was a tipped ball, but, but Duggan outplayed Delton in that game and he got more time because of it. Um, yeah. I mean, we're talking in circles or at least I am, but it, it was clear to me I played Delton, but Delton's going to yeah. start. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Which who knows? Maybe maybe Duggan's a nervous wreck in the locker room or something, and they're just trying to chill him maybe. out. Or 
Maybe he gets too hyped up and hitting his head on locker, lockers and screaming and stuff. Who knows? We don't know. We don't have that. Yeah. We don't. But on the field, like, and not that Delton doesn't, but Duggan does look comfortable, I think. I mean, he's trying these throws, you know, and he has the confidence to, to hum the ball in there, which for a freshman, I would rather have someone overthrowing than underthrowing and, and, and you know, kind of being more confident than, than less. So I, I've been encouraged by that. Um, yeah. Again, Delton's a redshirt senior. He, or a graduate transfer, he, you know, he also looks confident. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, I've been impressed by Duggan, even though the numbers aren't backing it up. Yeah, I think I think that's that's true. And you're saying, okay, even if they're relatively comparable, which I don't I don't currently think they are. Right. But even if they're relatively comparable, okay, for your program, who should you play if everything else is equal? You should right. play the younger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, bad passing game. Uh, Duggan QBR of of twenty point two. Some of that's brought down by the his his uh, you know he pulled a couple balls that weren't great decisions, and but it ultimately didn't matter. Uh, Duggan only seventy yards on the day and one one beautiful beautiful touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to put a big asterisk behind this because I think the swell, the groundswell of let's run the ball, let's establish the run, is getting a ton of momentum here. Mm-hmm. And like you said, one of your keys to the game, TCU has to establish the run. Um, I think I have my analytical qualms with that exact okay. uh, articulation of that. But sure, I think sure, the sure. sentiment is true. Is like you have good running backs and a good offensive line. You better be able to do this to somebody like Purdue who was hurt and thin and bad on defense. Right. Um, and so it's good to see them do that. But it's not like they did this against a good or even above average defense. And so that's a big caveat on the run game, I think, is the, is the one hesitancy I take from this from this game is you just saw Purdue got tired and they spent the entire second half, TCU did, just just running the ball at Purdue. And look, Shaywell and Darius are going to run you over and that's going to get tiresome real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Completely. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm, I'm just no, curious right. because I, I think you definitely have a point like, okay, establish the run is a cliche. And you know, it's, it's a mantra that coach that coaches and, and sports writers that are lazy like me use. But <laughs> if so, so I guess what, what's a better way to phrase that is that run the ball when you should and, and, and be able to do to. And I think TCU in that game was comfortable with, look, the passing game's not there yet, but we're going to run for 346 yards. So we might as well. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess to me that's, you know, you can paint that as establishing the run, but are you saying it's just run the ball because we can and they're not going to stop it? I mean, right. I mean, yeah. So I went on a little bit of like a, I went on a little bit of a Twitter rant mm-hmm. um, earlier this week, just talking about like, man, that whole second half was a little bit of a wasted opportunity to get live reps in the passing game. Yeah. Just because, uh, you know, we talked about like, we wish Purdue was a week later. Well, looking at what we know about, you know, then we didn't know Sindelar wasn't playing. Uh, I wish SMU was a week later. So like this worked out, mm-hmm. this worked out better. But we didn't really pass. I mean, he threw 18 passes. Um, he's right. thrown, you know, he's thrown like 40, 48 on the year, I think. Uh, whereas, uh, and, we'll, and we'll get to SMU, but like Shane Bouchelle has thrown 98. I think Duggan's yeah. thrown 41. And uh, and Shane Bouchelle's thrown 98. Like their their offense is, is going and clicking and they're getting opportunities to work out that timing stuff. So the second half passing, I understand you have a lead. They're, they're down. Gary doesn't want to kick anybody in the face. I still think you could have gotten you know, more wide receivers, different looks to see if there's somebody who is catching the ball particularly well. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities there to kind of handle things a little bit differently. Uh, Mm -hmm. But in terms of just straight up passing as opposed to establishing the run, it's not, it's not that you're a good, 
So I don't see this. I don't see 300 rushing yards as magnitude, right? I see that as volume. Right. It's not right. that TCU's offense was 300 yards better than Purdue's defense or whatever. I mean, comparable in terms of rushing. It's that TCU outmanned Purdue in the rush game. And mm-hmm. so TCU just ran a ton and that racked up a ton of volume. Right. Um, and so I think I think that kind of obscures the fact that like the passing game was really bad and needed a lot of work and we really didn't take any opportunities to try and work on that. Right. For sure. And and I think if you ask Gary Patterson, he'll say he really doesn't care and is just trying to win the game. But I think it's nonsensical to pretend like there wasn't a missed opportunity, like yeah. you said, and just getting some reps in. I mean, it. it you know, even against UAPB, I, I still think Duggan and Delton split too much time. And like you said, the fact that he only has 41 passes, uh, although there was a bye and Bouchelle has played three games right. um, and, and Delton and Duggan only played two. Um, this is a guy that if he's not your starter later this season or whatever the plan is, he will be at some point in the future. And every rep counts. So, yes, I completely agree. Um, and it, it, it's weird that we're, we're nitpicking a win, a 21 point win this much, but. You're right. It, it could have been bigger. It could have been better. And it could have set TCU up um, better for them. But at the end of the day, it's still 2-0. and Definitely. You can't and you can't sniff at 2-0 too much. We won't get we won't get too privileged with that for sure. Um, and looking at it, you know, I'm happy. We both predicted, hey, if TCU gets over that mid-30s hump, and I think that was true. Yep. And the defense just turned the water off, which, again, it should have with um, with, right. with Sindelar being out. Um, offense, you know, it looked good. They, they scored, I think they had, um, seven scoring opportunities and they scored on, uh, four, they, they had touchdowns on four of them, which is an improvement, uh, from the UAPB game. Some of the play calling in the red zone, um, was still a little stale. There were a couple of, there was specifically one after a big, after a big Darius Anderson run, we got up and we threw a bubble screen and that's what, that's what I was rewatching the game. And that's when I tweeted, oh my gosh. Let's throw the ball to Taylor Rager down the field right, and not three right. yards back. There was another one that was like third and five, and we threw it to Rager three yards behind the play, and he got seven yards, but we went to fourth down. Right. Um, okay, I'm getting off track. I have I have notes for this. So, yes, it was great. Uh, four out of our five touchdown drives involved a play of 20-plus yards. Very explosive. Like to see that. Looked a little more multiple. You can paint this as TCU has uh, got a young quarterback. They're improving. They're introducing stuff week to week. Um but they face a uh, they face a buzzsaw of an offense this weekend. Yep. The uh, SMU comes to town. The line started out at 13 and a half. It's now nine in favor of TCU, nine and a half. Um, but we got a pointy over under. It's 55 points. Um, and SMU comes in uh, fifth in the nation in passing success rate. 50 percent of their passes are successes. Uh, they're averaging 8.67 yards per pass. And they're 15th in third down success. So they're converting third downs. They're extending drives. They're they're kind of wearing you down with the pass game, too. So as SMU comes in and the battle for the iron skillet uh, takes place yet again, Grant, what are your thoughts on uh, on SMU and that, uh, that Sonny Dykes passing offense? Yeah, man, uh, SMU is, um, you know, it, it's been sort of a, an annoying win for TCU, I think, in the last few years. Um, looking back at some of the games from, uh, you know, so the last time SMU won was 2011. It was 40-33. Uh, TCU's won every game since then. Um, there have been weird games like a 56 to nothing blowout in 2014. Uh, that was immediately followed by a 56-37 to win. That was the pointiest game I can remember. Uh, there was a 33-3 to win in 2016. That was you know, just kind of – I was at that game, and, and, and none of it made sense. Um, and so it's just been a – you know, it, it hasn't been comfortable. You never want to lose to SMU because they're a rival – 
they've always been sort of um, running that sort of up-tempo offense, whether it was or now was, uh, with Dykes. Um, adding in a guy that you know lost the job to Sam Ellinger at Texas, but Shane Bichelle is an extremely good quarterback, and they have a bevy of wide receivers that are, um, you know, it, it's not Cortland Sutton, but James Prochet is extremely good, and it feels like he's been there forever. Uh, Jr. has entered his own this year. So passing offense uh, with an improved defense, uh, and a couple of running backs who have come onto the scene that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, it's it's a threat, man. And, you know, I think coming into the season, I was counting SMU as a guaranteed win. TCU should still win the game, but it's not a guarantee anymore. And, and that's kind of frightening. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's, that's astute. This game will be definitely more contentious than the Purdue game, which, again, isn't a reflection. Get off me, Purdue haters. A lot, I said Purdue was bad on Twitter. People were like, well, actually, okay, no, the Purdue that was on the field last week was bad. You know what I mean? Stop it. SMU is better than that Purdue. Yes. Doesn't mean SMU is better than Purdue. Just saying that version of the team, very bad. Um, and so this will this will definitely be a more contentious game. Um, yeah, I'm looking at so, – so let's go ahead and pivot to the defense. We can talk about the offense. Still we're blue in the face, and we might do that here in a minute. But that defense, uh, 65th in success rate allowed. Uh, they're 75th in pass success rate against, mm. and they're 65th in rush success rate. They average, they let five yards per rush against Texas State, UNT, and, and Arkansas State. Um, so mm-hmm. I think there is a big opportunity to exploit the run game, but they're also allowing a lot of um, a, a, a lot of success on in the passing game. That's 75th uh, in, in passing success is that you know they're they're letting teams catch balls and, and run drives, and so I think this could be a really good opportunity to make them be afraid of the run game yeah. and work the pass game and get rolling and have just some, some monster drives. Right. I, I agree. Um, I, I will say this. I was impressed uh, a little bit with their defense against UNT. Um, Mason Fine, who's an extremely good quarterback, um, you, you know, okay, three, three touchdowns, 292 yards. But I, I – oh, excuse me, that's – wait, no, yeah. I completely read that wrong. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I knew I got that wrong. 185 yards, two, two touchdowns, and one pick was Mason Fine uh, against uh, uh, SMU. Um, a really good quarterback, and that's probably – the best team they played against Arkansas state has a, a fun offense and Texas state's just very bad. Um, so I was impressed by that. Um, with that said, you know, there are opportunities. UNT did run for 211 yards and UNT is not a rushing team. Um, so it, it, it is a chance for TCU to at the bare minimum do what they did against Purdue. And if they have to run the ball and make progress in that direction and then just hope Duggan and, or Delton and whoever, can find Rager for a couple of big plays, but I would expect a similar offense to kind of what we did against Purdue. Um, definitely. I mean, you'll obviously hope that it'll be run less run heavy, uh, especially yeah. earlier on. Yeah. But, but I think that, I think that Gary's a guy to play his advantage, you know, and he's not, he's not calling plays, but uh, if we got a run advantage, we're going to make him correct. And then hopefully that opens up a window. I mean, I'd love to take all the pressure in the world off of Max Duggan and say, right. dude, you're awesome. Come be awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so hopefully hopefully that rushing attack will kind of take some pressure off of him for for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, okay, so SMU's picked off three balls this year. Um, you know, turnovers are you know, half luck, but at the same time they're still aggressive. Um, you know, at, but they're not a defensive team. Um, and if this gets to be a game where TCU does, you know, build a bit of a lead. Um, not enough to where Gary feels like he's running up the score, but I could send anything to pass the ball with Duggan. But 
enough to where, okay, you know, if Duggan throws a pick here, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, it be a chance, again, to sort of we hope we would accomplish at Purdue and let him play around, experiment, get some reps. Um, or it could just be horribly frightening, and we're just going to hate watching every single minute of this game until the final whistle. One of the two. Yeah, which would, I mean, that would be 100% on par with what oh, SU yeah. games have been uh, so far. So yeah, uh, I could I could fully expect that. Yeah, um, so S&P has this at uh, uh, TCU 15.2 point favorite, uh, mm-hmm. 81%. The rounded score there is 35 to 20, um, which feels that, man, more than two touchdowns feels like a lot. Um, it does. But, you know, that's not first half, second half. That is just all of it. So I, I think there will be some wearing down in the end just from the talent disparity. But um, that SMU offense is lethal. And if, if TCU really has to rely on their rushing, you know, SMU gets a couple big plays, gets a couple touchdowns, and suddenly you're trying to dig out of a hole with a, with a rushing attack. That looks a little nerve-wracking on TCU's end. Um, I will note that SMU's offense, uh, every, one of their, every one of their drives against S, uh, UNT, that mm-hmm. was a touchdown drive involved mm-hmm. a play of at least 20 yards. Like they are very similar to what we thought Purdue was going to be explosive. They're going to put together long drives by, by getting a, a, a chunk of yardage when you're not expecting it and then be able to capitalize and score. So that that's a very dangerous offense. No, it absolutely is. Um, and, you know, I think we talked last week about how bad of a second half team Purdue was. Um, SMU might be the opposite. Looking at just sort of, I mean, just the raw numbers, they um, hold the third quarter advantage 49 to 27 and the fourth quarter advantage 27 21. So coming out of the half, I don't know if it's the defense making adjustments or Dykes making adjustments or just guys are warmed up, whatever. But they're coming out of the second half hot. Uh, and, that's going to be a problem for TCU. If it's a close enough game to where that first possession can make a difference, then that's a chance for SMU to, you know, to strike. Yep. I will say uh, TCU did look monstrous in the third quarter oh, against Purdue. No, for sure. Uh, yeah. 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 And so that would be, that'll be fun. Best on best. I'm, I'm all yep. about that. Um, okay. So let's do uh, let's do a little best case, worst case scenario for, uh, for TCU this weekend. Okay. Um, I'll say this for best case. I think, um, SMU is going to, I think, I think, you know, Shane Bichelle's a good quarterback. I think it's enough to where they, they will put points up. Um, but I do think TCU does have an advantage, um, again, much like they did against Purdue. The, the, the run game is significantly uh, better than SMU's run defense. Um, so I think best case, uh, Duggan and Delton hit, let's say, you know, two big plays. They get some touchdowns. And then TCU can kind of coast on that run game, uh, make SMU respected enough. Um, so they can get some short passes to Rager, um, all you know, stuff like that. And TC wins. I don't know. Let's say uh, I think the over hits in the best case scenario that'd be about a forty-one to I don't know. Uh, let's say you know twenty-four, twenty-eight win. Um, I think TCU can you know win by two touchdowns, but it would have to be best case. Worst case is that uh, the passing offense just does not show up. Um, CJ McDaniel, who ran for uh, he ran eight times for 159 yards last game in his Jeez. first college game ever uh it, it does that again um tc's run defense is good enough i don't think he'll hit those numbers but i, I do think he can make a difference and Bouchelle just lights up the defense um and this turns into the first loss in a battle for the iron scale since 2011 i still think even that might be kind of pointsy just because the run game is good for tcu and um the frogs aren't afraid to run the ball even though they're down so it'd, it'd be like I don't know, 30, 31, 28 loss, um, still hits the over, but lose the game. 
Yeah, I think uh, those are those are good bounds. That's for for score wise for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think you know best case scenario is I said it last week, and this is really dumb, but I would really love for Max Duggan to like complete three passes and then throw for a touchdown on the first drive. That would just that would just warm my heart. And so I'm just I'm writing up the first two Alex. Look, I want Alex Delton to have a good first two drives. I'm writing those off. I'm those are happening. That's fine. I just want Duggan to come in and just have a great moment. He had great moments in the Purdue game. Plenty of them. I just want him to have them at the beginning so he can get some Mm -hmm. confidence going. And so he can instill some confidence in the play callers and kind of get them rolling. Um, Yeah, I think I think. This game it makes me nervous. I wish TC wasn't ranked for it. I know that's a little, no, a little I know suspicious what you mean. and not, yeah. not statistical, but man, you hate to put an even bigger target uh, on on the back uh, just just in a rivalry game. And I think this is the most competitive team. I don't know. You remember what the I think it was the thirty three thirty year where Chad yeah. Morris was wearing. No, this was the the really pointy one, fifty six thirty seven or whatever, mm-hmm. where Chad Morris was wearing the make SMU great again, and they were <laughs> yeah. they were good, and they had. Um, Corlin Sutton and yeah, just they're 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 feisty. But I think that team's probably better than the team we're facing this weekend. But Shane Buchel's looked awesome. Um, his legs have, have been a little dangerous. Uh, you know, not not incredible, but he's he's been able to run here and there. And so that always gives TCU fits. Um, and so I, you know, I think the knock on SMU last year was SMU was a quarterback away from being a really, really feisty team. And Shane Buchel is a big upgrade from Ben Hicks. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's breaking news. Um so yeah, that that I think what we'll see this weekend is um, a little bit of rockiness in the first half, and then and then CCU hits its stride and kind of runs away in the second half. I hope that's what happens. But worst case scenario, man, you've got Shane Bouchelle with a Sunny Dykes offense and the ball down by less than a score with a minute yeah. left. Don't want to be in that situation. Don't I, want to be in that situation. I completely agree. The one thing I am I am looking at, and I don't necessarily know what what sort of advanced stats you have, but just looking at the raw box score, it you know Bouchelle only has five touchdowns through three games. Um, Xavier Jones has seven rushing touchdowns through three games. So it, it looks to me like you know when SMU does get into the red zone, they prefer to run the ball. Um, I think that plays into TCU's hands because they're. The Frogs are very good defense against the run. Um, so if we can turn some of those SMU touchdowns into field goals, that might sort of almost be the difference in the game, I think, honestly. It kind of in the middle of the ground scenario. Um, if we can stop that run game in the red zone, then that might be enough. But I don't know. I, I It's weird for me to think that we have to stop SMU's run game to win because that's had, that has been the case in like a decade. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, that takes you. I mean, that takes you back to like before I was born. Right. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Cool. Okay. Uh, so we've got score predictions. We've talked about SMU. Um, I could vomit some more stats out, but we uh, we did throw out to the uh, throw out to the commenters this week. Uh, ask us some questions, and so mm-hmm. let's uh, let's kind of ping pong through some of these. Sure. As I'm scrolling through my mentions, which are huge right now because Jalen Rager retweeted me. No big right. deal. Well, let um, me ask, uh, oh, go ahead. Let me ask you this because I'm already there. Tougher game, Iowa State on October 5th uh, on the road or at Kansas State on October 19th. Uh, shout out Yale MK, one of the better TCU Twitter followers. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Because Kansas State looks good at 3-0. Maybe? Uh, maybe? Here's the question. Does, yeah. does Kansas State look better than Iowa State looks worse. And I mean that like in a probabilistic right. sense. So like clearly right. there's uncertainty. Are you more sure that Iowa State is not good than you are Kansas State is good? Because Kansas State has played, let me let me explain that because that's kind of in my head and crazy and no, no, no one's no, fine. I, that's fine. Yeah. 
But like, so Kansas State has played three teams, two of whom are very bad, and they've looked very good against them. One of whom is maybe bad. Normal bad. Normal bad, maybe decent. Who knows? Uh, And we're just not sure. And they looked okay against them. They they easily could have lost that game. They were shooting themselves in the foot left and right. Mm -hmm. Iowa State has should have lost to an FCS team. Iowa State punched themselves in the groin and lost the Mm -hmm. Iowa game. Are we, I, I don't know. I, I'm i not worried about Brock Purdy right now. I'm worried about no. Chris Kleiman getting plenty of time yep. to come, especially, yep. man, if we're a power-running team and we have to play Kansas State, that is getting mm. into the mud. I think my answer right now is Kansas State. Big asterisk, though. I, I, I completely agree. I'm not worried about Purdy. I am shocked at how bad the Cyclones have looked in the first two weeks. And again, it's just the first two weeks, and... Iowa State, Iowa, El Asico is always a terrible, terrible football game, no matter how good or bad each team is. Um, but if you're looking at the teams as they are right now, then yeah, a 3-0 Kansas State scares me a, a heck of a lot more than Iowa State does, which is wild. But Chris Kleiman is such a good head coach. It, it's it's yeah. bananas how good he is at his job. Um, it, it, so yeah, I, that that's that frightens me a whole lot. Definitely. And I mean, he, he kind of did that piggyback thing so Craig Bull, the old uh, mm. n- uh, North, North Dakota, Dakota State. State. Yeah. yeah, I was I was trying to get UND out of my head. Uh, <laughs> I, I spent too much time in the Big Sky Conference, and I got uh-huh. confused. Uh, so, yeah, he went to Wyoming, and that was kind of like, oh, big crossover. Is this going to work? And right. uh, Chris Kleiman came in and was like, I'll, I'll take the Power 5 job. That's great. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And, man, he just knows how to show up and make things happen. So that's been impressive. Good, good out-of-conference win for them. I think I'm more worried about them than Iowa State right now. Completely agree. Um, okay, scrolling through some of these. Um, again, I'll just I'll just get all of MK's questions out. Goal line package sure. for Delton? No, Shewo no. is better in every respect. Or uh, yeah, uh, from a pure enjoyment perspective, this weekend's going to be miserable. Probably it's going to be warm. It's going to be wet, I think. And uh, so that's going to be yeah, it's going to be a weird SMU game like normal. Yep. We've got we've got a triple option question. Okay. Um, no. The answer is yes. No, the answer is categorically no. And I'm I'm the person Aww. who wrote I'm the person who wrote last year. Hey, instead of doing what we're doing right now with this personnel, we should just run the triple. Um, which isn't. Uh, I love the triple. I love New Mexico State. I think it might be New Mexico. No, runs it's New Mexico what, State. Yeah, New yeah, Mexico yeah. State. Yeah. I call it the gun bone. Uh-huh. Uh And the gun bone is the triple from the shotgun, and it is freaking weird. Yep. It is like six or seven steps past an RPO. Like you, you don't need any of them, but it's very fun. Um, no, I think that we need to incorporate a second option on a lot of plays or, you know, the trip, you know, uh, the trip on a lot of plays. I think that needs to be more run pass. I think that needs to be more, um, I'd like to see more movement on the offensive line. And so I think there's definitely facets of the triple that you'd like to replicate just in terms of multiplicity and deception and, uh, being versatile, but no, 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 we don't need to, we don't. We need to be a spread running team, not a running team. I yeah. Okay. Look, you're right. But do you know how fun <laughs> it is <laughs> to just watch the triple. Like I, I watched all of that god awful Army Michigan game just because Army was running the triple and making Michigan look like a bunch of children who have never played football before. And even though they lost, just watching Michigan be like, I hate this so much. Imagine running the triple against like. Texas and just thinking about how much Texas defenders are hating every minute of trying <laughs> to defend the triple option. It, that has to bring you some joy. 
I, I, I agree. It would be, it would like, look, if you're steering into the horn frog thing, being profoundly annoying is a right. facet. Like that is a, that is part of our identity. And so I get that, but also you're, I agree with you. I'm on the fun level. Sure. One, Just, one, if you get behind, that's miserable. Yeah, Two, yeah, yeah. Like Texas and Oklahoma are running the triple option, dude. It's just, no, right. am I giving this? Am I running? Am I passing? Right. Um, and so, yes, let's run the triple. Let's run RPOs. Let's let's spice it up a little bit. Let's not let's not become a niche. I think Kansas should have hired a triple coach. I think yeah. Oregon State should have hired a triple coach. I think Arkansas should have hired a triple coach. Just go weird. But we don't need to go weird um, at this current juncture. Fair enough. I just wanted to do a bit. And by God, it, it, listen, if TCU did it, I would embrace it 100 percent. But you're right. The personnel is not there. And, and that's probably honestly the reason why they shouldn't. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, yeah, the offensive like our offensive line is too good to run the triple is a very yeah. thing to say. But, but yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, OK, we got one or two more. Um, Walter McKinnis, old McWalt, asks, uh, what's a realistic range of expectations for a true freshman quarterback's development? Like what's one standard deviation range of possibilities? Not that there's a point zero zero one chance he might become Trevor Lawrence. Right. Um, I love this. If you ask a question with standard deviation in it, I will 100% answer that question. So, Grant, what do you think about a realistic range of expectations for, for Max Duggan? You know, many of you will forget I made a, a four on the stats AP test. Let me take a crack at this. Um, no, no, I, uh, I, I, no, I think a, a, you know, Max Duggan's potential as a freshman is to be a um, above average Big 12 quarterback. Now, that means a lot because the Big 12 is a lot of quarterbacks. I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield or Jalen Hurts or Sam Ellinger um, or even Charlie Brewer. But I think he can be the fourth or fifth best quarterback in this conference if, if, if you know, at, at his best as a freshman. I, I think that's probably the, you know, the highest he can go this year. Um, and so as far as a realistic range of expectations, I think him being a serviceable Big 12 quarterback is completely within the range. Um, I am not that high on Brock Purdy. So someone like a Brock Purdy or someone like, um, you know, even Kenny Hill in his first year at TCU wasn't that great, but he was serviceable unless you wanted him to throw a 10 yard out route, in which case he was completely um, useless. Uh, so, so I, I think that's probably the, the realistic ranges for him to be sort of on that level. Um, again, which with this running offense and with this defense would be really lethal, I think. For sure. Yeah, I think I think if we're going for that kind of, you know, normal bell curve, 68 percent in the middle, what's the most likely outcome? I think the top of that range is he is fun and dangerous. Um, he gets his name mentioned on game day when we play Texas. Yeah. Like that is probably the the ceiling for him, which is great. I'm not arguing that he's going to be a Heisman candidate this year. I'm not arguing no. he's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I'm just saying. If he's gonna do, if he's gonna do what Andy Dalton did, if he's gonna do what Trevon Boykin did, if he's gonna do what Kenny Hill did, if he's gonna do what what Casey Pahal could have done with another done. year. Oh yeah. my gosh, uh, that arm, man. But if he's going to do that, he's got to play. And so I'm just saying, right. let's let's throw it in there. Um, okay, we're going we're going uh, so long on time, and that's yes. that's totally yeah. fine. Um, let's uh, let's let's pull the plug there. I think that's most of the questions, um, and we'll ask again earlier next week so that people can get yeah. those in. It's always fun when I'm doing research to be like, oh, I should probably flip this out and see if anyone wants to ask yep. anything. Yeah. Every week I get bored on Wednesday afternoon and the way my schedule works. And it's like, oh, I should probably look at some numbers. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah I should really yeah, look no, at some numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. Um, uh, Grant, well, thanks so much, man. Um, we will uh, 
We'll be back on next week. And until then, find us on Twitter at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels in it. And yep. I am at Stats of War. Um, until then, Grant, be well. Absolutely. Uh, and hey, I'm going to the TCU game this week. So uh, if anyone wants to see a tall man in a purple shirt, uh, come look for me. I'll be there. He'll be the only one. Yeah, you'll, okay. you'll know when you <laughs> see him. One. <laughs> Thanks, Parker. I'll see you later, man. Yeah, man. I've got Edward Egros, a notable Dallas sports personality, uh, a good friend of mine, on the podcast tonight to talk about this TCU-SMU matchup. Edward, how are you? I'm doing well, and I appreciate being called notable. Well, you're, you're nothing if not notable. So <laughs> let's talk a little football, man. So this TCU-SMU matchup, it's in, in Fort Worth this weekend. Um, right. TCU's won a couple in a row. Um, sometimes SMU's <laughs> competitive, sometimes they haven't. The betting line opened at uh, TCU as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under at uh, 57, and that since moved to TCU 9.5 and, and an over-under of 55.5. So um, what are your thoughts on this matchup? What are your thoughts on the line and how it's moved? What are your thoughts on the over-under and how it's moved? Well, first off, I'm not surprised at all that uh, more action has gone to the SMU side in large part because I think more people are, are respecting this SMU passing attack uh, more now than ever before. I think it's pretty obvious that uh, – what SMU has been able to do under Sunday Dykes and his passing attack has been nothing short of impressive. And I know the competition may not be too impressive. I know a lot of people have said, well, 3-0 and against that kind of group. Well, you should be 3-0. and Well, I think it's a little bit more impressive than that. I think uh, what's been going on with Shane Bouchelle has been nothing short of incredible. I mean, this was a guy who uh, looked almost pedestrian in Texas, and this was under Tom Herman who is supposed to be this quarterback guru in so many different ways, and not to discount what they're doing now with Sam Ellinger, but I think Shane Bouchelle really has taken a step forward in his own football career, in large part because of what Sonny Dykes is able to do with a number of different weapons. When I look at this matchup in general, I think what's fascinating, uh, and this sort of goes back to the over-under idea, I think it is fascinating that it's gone down a little bit. I, I would have expected this to go up in large part because I think SMU is going to try and win through passing to a number of different weapons. TCU is going to try and run the ball down SMU's throat and just wear them down over the course of time, it seems like. And to me, that suggests a high-scoring game to me where it could come down to one possession. I think what makes this far more interesting than probably any other game in this series over the last 10 years is that there's not that one weapon that SMU is using more than anybody else. In the last few years, Cortland Sutton was that one weapon for SMU, and any great defensive mind knows you shut down your primary opponent, and then you try and have uh, the second option, the third option, the fourth option come in and beat you. Well, who is the top option for SMU right now? I'm not sure that we're all in agreement as to who that is, and so ultimately, I think that gives SMU a rather considerable advantage that maybe they haven't had in years past. Definitely. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the knock on SMU last year, who, who was competitive at times but also struggled uh, down the stretch, was that they were basically a quarterback away from being a competitive team. And you've seen, you know, Ben Hicks follows Chad Morris and transfers to Arkansas and um, lost the job to Nick Starkle just this last week and uh, just clearly wasn't the quarterback that Shane Bouchelle is. And so Sonny Dykes with a quarterback is a, um, is a huge weapon. TCU, you know, is familiar with Sonny Dykes, him having been there as an analyst for, uh, for a season. And so... Um, Definitely exciting to see. I think I think both schools are better off when the school is competitive. 
Um, some numbers on that SMU passing attack, man, 8.7 yards per pass. They're fifth in the nation in success rate on passes, uh, 50%. So one out of two passes is a success, which is just an insane number. Um, and they're so multiple. One thing uh, I, I really like, you talked about multiple options and um, they've got, you know, SMU has something they haven't had in the past. They've got a tight end. This uh, uh, and, and Granson's been really, really productive. And so it's good to see, um, you know, SMU kind of have different fronts and it feels a little bit, um, odd to say that this is going to be a battle of two con- competing styles. That over-under does feel high to me now, just because TCU has clearly said, hey, we're going to be a rushing team this year. Um, and so that is that is interesting because it'll kind of see, I, I think in some ways, if if the game hits the over, SMU will have imposed its style. And if the game hits the under, it'll be a solid win for TCU. I think that's exactly the way that I would uh, imply that. But I also think that this game can still hit the over, uh, just in large part because SMU may keep this a competitive game where, say, uh, TCU scores quickly through running the ball down SMU's defensive throats. Uh, and then SMU counters with uh, Shane Bouchelle sort of, uh, you know, geeking and dunking and doing whatever he wants uh, in terms of passing the ball. So it could very much, very well be a back and forth kind of affair that ultimately goes the over. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with the over-under than, say, the spread itself because I don't know if I trust either defense. And it's weird to say that, you know, with a Gary Patterson TCU defense that has been playing very well. I give them a ton of credit, and I think this may be uh, arguably top two, three defense in the Big 12. Um, and, I, and I mean that in a real respectful way, but there's something different about how SMU has been able to attack just about anybody at this point through three games. And I find it hard that if your passing attack is as potent as SMU's is, that you're all of a sudden going to figure it out. Through it, A lot of the write-ups that I've seen in terms of previewing this game involve, well, TCU is able to get picks. The secondary is able to get interceptions. Well, you and I know very well that when it comes to interceptions, those things involve luck. And TCU throughout this series has been rather fortunate when it comes to getting those lucky plays. And at some point, that luck may very well run out. So it's, it's one of those deals where I go, yeah, Patterson may scheme something you know, rather significant to try and tame this passing attack, but he can only do so much. And I would not be surprised if it may be something where TCU is still able to eke out a victory, but Bouchelle is still picking apart anything and everything. And I go, all right, that's just how this game develops. Keep hammering this point home, but... SMU is as multiple and dangerous as TCU has seen them in, in years. Um, and even in years when SMU has beat TCU. Shane Bouchelle, this number blows my mind. Uh, Shane Bouchelle has rushed it 10 times. He's got 33 yards. He has 871 yards. Um, there are four receivers who have more than 90 yards for SMU this year. He is throwing the ball around. And um, he's, you know, he's not insanely impressive with his feet. But he's mobile enough to make him dangerous, which I think especially against TCU is going to make him uh, uh, very, very dangerous. Um, so, Edward, kind of best case scenario for, you know, you're, you're kind of from the SMU side, but, but have, uh, have a knowledge of both sides. Could you give me your idea of what's the best case for SMU, what's the best case for TCU, and then the subsequent worst case for both of those teams? Well, I would begin with sort of an overarching football philosophy I have that I think Sonny Dykes believes in and I believe in, and that is that for a passing attack to work and be most effective in football, regardless of the level, I think it has less to do with having a superstar and more having three or four really good receivers. 
I am less inclined to believe that the Atlanta Falcons system, for instance, where you have Julio Jones and then Calvin Ridley is sort of the, uh, you know, that, that second banana, as it were. I don't like that philosophy. I much prefer to say how the Rams do it, where you have Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, guys like that, where you have threats in a variety of different places where you don't exactly know who you need to be covering because you can double team, triple team any one receiver and then have somebody else beat you. But if those other receivers are garbage, then it doesn't really matter. Um, Your offense is useless. But to have three or four or five guys who are all adequate or capable, uh, that's what SMU has right now. And that's, that's what Sonny Dykes is trying to pull off. And so that alone philosophically is why I feel like that SMU is far more dangerous now than it's ever been over the last 10 years in this series. So to me, best case scenario for SMU is doing exactly what they've been doing is you don't have one guy torching that TCU secondary. It's a number of guys who are just getting paper cuts. Uh, You know, they're all getting 80, 90 yards and then it adds up. I think that's the best case scenario for SMU. My concern, though, and I think this is appropriate when it comes to talking college football in general, it's just that, okay, if you have a bigger, faster, stronger team, at what point does the other team uh, just wear down? And, you know, TCU's rushing attack is strong in a variety of ways, and it's why they're going to be competitive in the Big 12. But when it comes to this particular game, will SMU just wear down to where TCU is guaranteed to score a touchdown uh, with just about every single touch? because they're just gassed. Uh, I always feel like when it comes to this series, as long as Gary Patterson is the head coach of the Horned Frogs, that's always going to be a possibility. So for SMU to be in the, be competitive in this game, they probably have to get off to a pretty early lead and then maybe just hang on for dear life. If they don't do that, TCU, uh, it, even if it's a close game, TCU is going to pull away late. It's a matter of SMU getting off to a strong early lead and making TCU uncomfortable to run the football because they've got to score and score quickly. Definitely. Um, yeah, and, and I'll note, it, you know, this is this is effectively a Big 12 game. You know, not, not necessarily saying SMU is Big 12 quality, but their offense has looked as good as some of the offenses TCU will see in the Big 12. Um, but also noting, I mean, SMU's had an entire game uh, on, on TCU, and they've played three opponents who are um, – you know, they played three D1 opponents. I tweeted this the other night. Shane Bouchelle has attempted 98 passes this season. Max Duggan for TCU has only attempted 41. Alex Delton's only attempted 28. And the passing game has looked rough. It's, if SMU drops two touchdowns and gets a stop in the first quarter, TCU's suddenly a little bit of a hole with an offense that can't or hasn't looked like they can move the ball very well. And so that that start will definitely be the, um, the key for, for TCU and for SMU uh, to kind of prevent that eventual wearing down. See, I would disagree with you as far as this not being a Big 12 game, because if your conference has included the Kansas Jayhawks, then <laughs> it include the SMU Mustangs. I, um, I am, uh, as a TCU uh, fan, I am not allowed to comment on the state of the Kansas Jayhawks program. Uh, <laughs> we'll make everything right next week, hopefully. But um, yes, no, I think, I think SMU prevents a, a unique set of challenges, and they've looked better than they've looked um, the last couple of years. Um, okay, so we, we've seen this. We have a big battle uh, this, this weekend for the Iron Skillet, one of the most competitive in, in the last couple of years. Give us your uh, prediction, and I'll make that twofold. One, if you had you know some money to place on this game, where would you be betting and why? And then what are you predicting is going to happen? 
I am far more comfortable going with the over in this game, uh, less involving the spread. If you made me pick the spread, I'd probably say that TCU covers in this situation, but not by very much. It may be like a 10, 12-point affair because I think that ground attack by TCU will ultimately wear down SMU. Uh, maybe it's a big school bias on my part or a power five bias on my part, but I, I just naturally believe that TCU coming into this game is going to be one of the more competitive programs in the big 12. And you're not a competitive program in the big 12. If you aren't just big, fast, strong, physical. So in terms of those metrics, I think TCU is in decent shape, but I am far more convinced that this is going to go the over because I believe in Shane Bouchelle. I believe in the SMU offense. And I do believe that I think in this first half, it could be a very close game. If there are first half wagers out there, I would say that SMU can cover. No doubt about it. It it should be a close affair. And look, SMU TCU, they've had a lot of close affairs. Just TCU has found ways to win through special teams, through a pick here or there, just unfortunate circumstances for the ponies. Um, And that may very well happen again. Uh, I'm not expecting it. It's why I think it will be a competitive contest. But ultimately – And even though I'm a guy who analytically does not believe that you can wear down a defense through running the football, I do believe in this circumstance, because it is college football and because uh, there is a natural disparity where this SMU defense hasn't shown me a heck of a lot up to this point, uh, I would have liked to have seen uh, something more formidable against this kind of competition. Maybe not against UNT, but definitely the other two teams. I would have expected uh, more of a defensive uh, sort of spotlight to be shined for me to be comfortable that this game can be uh, in SMU's favor. But overall, I look at it and go, yeah, first half lines, uh, first half spreads, SMU can cover. But in the end, I think TCU is just going to be more physical and win it that way. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, that's kind of been the pattern that's going on. And um, I think I think the the pointier and the weirder this game is, the better a chance SMU has. Um, I'll note about that. I'll note about that defense. SMU is giving up five yards of rush against Texas State, UNT, and Arkansas State, and uh, TCU is currently averaging uh, over eight yards of rush. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of. Uh, or excuse me, I read that wrong. Six over six, six and a half yards of rush. So, yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out and and what happens there. Um, okay, I've got one more question for you like, before I let you off the phone. Uh, give me your four playoff teams. My four playoff teams at the this spot. moment. No, that's fine. Uh, my four playoff teams right now. Well, Alabama Clemson, uh, put that in Sharpie, uh, etch <laughs> that into a tombstone or whatever sort of hard stone you can find, a slab of anything. Uh, Alabama Clemson are going to make it regardless of what happens the rest of the year. Uh, that's pretty much said. As far as the other two teams, um, I, I I look at this and go, I would not be surprised if something really funky happens. Um, I do like LSU a lot, and I do believe LSU could possibly sneak in without winning the SEC. I still think Alabama is better than LSU. Uh, I don't buy in the hype in terms of, you know, well, now they have a different quarterback at LSU. Well, they've had good quarterbacks there before. Joe Burrow is a little bit better in terms of QBR, but Alabama has Tua, and he right. may be the best quarterback in the country. So right. uh, LSU could very well sneak in uh, as a non-SEC winner. Um, but as far as the other one, um, Ohio State has really impressed me. Uh, might be them. Uh, for a while, I thought Michigan State might pull off the upset, but they already have a loss, and I, I don't know if they'll be able to recover from that. Um, but I could see Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Ohio State. That might be where I am this moment. But, of course, next week I'll probably change it because that's what I do. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm 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 capricious week to week with my pick too. Um, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense, and I think for LSU especially, that Texas win is going to age well. If they, you know, one loss to Alabama, they'll be exactly like Alabama. What was it, two, three years ago, where they lost to Auburn and were undefeated otherwise, and they uh-huh. went to the national championship? I think LSU could find themselves in the same situation, um, especially with that Texas win. Um, great. Well, Edward, thanks so much for your time, man. Um, where can where can listeners find more of your great content? I know you've got video series about baseball statistics and you're talking about betting and you're talking about um, sports. Where's the best place to find you online? So the best way is to uh, there are a couple of ways. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ed with sports at Ed with sports. You can also uh, catch me on Instagram at Ed with sports as well. And then my website, InsideSportsAnalytics.com, InsideSportsAnalytics.com. Pretty much anything and everything that I ever do for anybody uh, involves those platforms. Awesome. That's great. Well, we'll put those in the show notes and direct people there. Man, as always, um, insightful stuff from you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate having you on. Enjoyed talking to you. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. I've got Billy Embody of 247 Sports here with me tonight. Billy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's uh, let's just go ahead and dive in. We've got this uh, TCU-SMU matchup. It's uh, hotly anticipated this year. It feels like it's one of the more competitive more competitive matchups we've had between these two teams over the last couple of years. Um, what uh, What's different about SMU football this year than has been for the last, uh, the last couple of years? Yeah, I think the the main thing is just the talent level that Sonny Dykes has brought in. They've they've added double digit transfers in the off season, and including Texas transfer Shane Bouchelle, who's leading the conference in passing, um, just a few games into the season right now, and, and going through non conference play. But um, with him at the helm, he's played a lot of football. He's he's been through just about everything you can imagine, including really having uh, struggled against TCU in his career. Um, but he seems to have really put together a good start to the year uh, for SMU and, and he's been efficient and um, he, he seems like he's in command of the offense. So that's been the biggest thing. Uh, and, and the depth that the other transfers have provided, um, whether it be on the defensive line with guys like Zach Abercrombie or at the safety position with Cameron Jones and Chevin Calloway, or um, even Reggie Roberson who transferred last year coming into his own this year um, and being healthy. Um, that's kind of been the difference. They have depth where last year they were probably, you know, much more scared to death in terms of how things were going to go at corner and how things were going to go on the offensive line. And and they just um, their defensive line, especially, I mean, they're about three deep at defensive tackle now. Um, they, they've just it's kind of night and day in terms of how they're able to approach games because of that depth. Definitely. And that's been, you know, that's kind of been the narrative of it's been close in the first quarter and TCU's pulled away the last couple of years. Um, and depth certainly goes into that. So uh, SMU has uh, 68% of their offense, offensive production returning this year and 79% of their defense. And they've done a great job of bolstering that with with a bunch of transfers, like you said. Um, that depth also extends uh, kind of in the offensive backfield and in the receiving core. So SMU has um, three running backs with at least 150 yards. And they have four wide receivers uh, with with at least eight, eight catches, um, 90, 
93 or with at least 93 yards. And that kind of depth and multiplicity seems like a new facet as well. Uh, in the past, you know, TC's been able to, been able to key in on a Cortland Sutton um, or a James Proche. And now uh, he's surrounded with, with all these guys that can contribute. Yeah, exactly. You, you hit the nail on the head, and and Myron Galliard has has provided a little bit of a, an extra pop at the wide receiver position. Where, whereas really, it's been uh, Reggie Roberson and James Prochet that have been kind of the the standouts, and and Galliard has stepped up, and um, we've seen Judah Bell catch catch a pass. Uh, the tight end position, Kylan Granson, as I, I it probably hasn't, but it's getting close to already approaching the amount of production that it's had um, over the last few years in terms of. Uh, total season yardage uh, just already in the first three games. Um, and, and he's a, he's a big six, three, six, four, 230 pound tight end. That's, that was clocked in a four, four over the summer um, when he was a little bit lighter. So he's kind of a difference maker for them. And then you have that running back room with two seniors and Xavier Jones and, and Cayman Freeman that have both had a ton of success in their careers, both seem healthy. And then they got a big boost on Saturday night when TJ McDaniel broke out and he's a true freshman from South Lake and he's looking like he's going to have to challenge for some carries now. So they've, they've got a lot of playmakers. They, they really haven't um, had too much of a, of an issue of, of, of having that over the last, I mean, really in the last decade um, or so. And uh, really it's been keeping them healthy. And, and for the first time in a while, it seems like they are and um, going into this game. That's a big storyline. For sure. And, and again, uh, you know, just kind of, we could we could talk about Shane Bouchelle over and over again, but he's been he's just been great this year, and it's been a big upgrade. You've seen you know Ben Hicks Ben Hicks transferred, and uh, clearly isn't a high caliber quarterback, um, or at least not a uh, beyond a group of five high caliber quarterback. And just have have somebody like Shane Bouchelle, who was at Texas, who was contributing and faced some adversity at a high level. He's coming and been great. Sixty six percent completion percentage. He's uh, averaging eight point nine yards per attempt. Uh, and and he's he's thrown for um, five touchdowns on the season. Um, I do I would I w- uh, would like to note there is those three interceptions in the first three games, um, and so you see that TD to interception ratio of five to three, and that seems a little problematic. Has he looked loose with the ball, or is that something that just kind of happened as the pace of play has happened? SMU's getting so many drives and possessions that that's bound to happen. Yeah. I, so the first one was a tip ball. Um, and, and so it ended up just kind of going right to the Arkansas State defender. I'm pretty sure it was his first pass um, of the season. So it was just since then he, he went on a tear and, and uh, was impressively good the rest of the way against Arkansas State and then was very, very impressive against North Texas. Um, and then this past weekend, really, I think he was just trying to do too much. Um, it was a pretty vanilla attack that they went with against a really bad Texas State team. And um, one of them, he just kind of, fired a screen pass that you know the blocker had gotten beat on but he probably could have ate it I mean it, it was just kind of one of those things where it's so quick that he just fired it out there that got picked off and then um the other one it was almost kind of like he was rolling out and trying to float it over the top and just kind of gripped it a little too tight and you know went right to the defenders so they were I, I think there are more anomalies but uh he can't do that against TCU I think the team that wins the turnover battle is is going to have a real good shot at winning this football game. I think both teams feed off of turnovers um, and are both are really good at forcing them. So um, however they've happened this year, they, they can't have them uh, this weekend. Definitely. Yeah. So TCU has four interceptions on the season uh, defensively and only one, I believe that was 
uh, again, a weird tip pass. And so I think that'll that'll determine a lot if, if SMU is going to be able to um, to beat them. So let's uh, let's shift kind of from uh, that, that perspective on SMU and kind of look at the SMU perspective on on TCU. What is um, what does TCU bring to this game that SMU is going to key in? Um, how are they going to kind of approach TCU offensively and defensively? Yeah, I think uh, one, I mean, I think you're going to see a, a freshman quarterback take the start, Max Dugan, for TCU. And so Kevin Kane, the SMU defensive coordinator, is pretty multiple. He brings kind of exotic pressures. He plays in three down, four down. Um, he plays players kind of across positions. I mean, they've got Patrick Nelson, who's kind of a linebacker safety, but they bring off the edge. Uh, they've played Turner Cox, one of their defensive ends, in an outside linebacker role. You see safeties end up playing corner. I mean, they just really mix things up. And so for a young quarterback, he's going to have to diagnose that fairly well. Um, from what I saw against Purdue, Purdue kind of came with this, okay, we're going to stack the box and force you to pass. And, well, TCU just ended up running all over them. And uh, so it was kind of a simplified approach, though. I think SMU is going to take you know, more of a different approach. I think they're going to be multiple. I think they're going to try different things, mix things up, try to confuse them in the passing game. And, hope, and, and for them, hopefully force, you know, an, an interception or a turnover or what have you. Um, they've been really, really good at forcing turnovers uh, under Kevin Kane. I think it, the streak runs to about 12, 12 straight games or something like that with a turnover, uh, forced turnovers. So um, that's what I think they'll do defensively. They've got to be able to stop the run. Darius Anderson's one of the best running backs in the country. Um, and then offensively, I, I think they're going to, I think they're going to open up with some bag of tricks. Don't be surprised to see a trick player too. Um, they're going to try to run the football, which they, they did really, really well against Texas State. They haven't really done it a ton with consistency over the course of the season, but they had a real good night on Saturday against Texas State. So I think they're going to try to run the football. Shane Bouchelle is going to try to get it to all these different receivers that they've got, make them defend the entire field, stretch them out, but – they're going to have to use the entire field, and they're going to have to use the quick passing game because TCU's defensive front is pretty stout. Um, they didn't get much pressure against uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff, but um, I, I have a feeling they're going to be bringing it a little bit more than, than normal against SMU. So um, SMU will have to use the quick passing game and, and do some different things to kind of make them defend the entire field. Yeah, having to having to consider an SMU run game feels alien almost to think about, but um, they definitely have the talent in the backfield to to make that happen um noting uh smu has five interceptions on the season and last year interception was the name of the game for tcu offensively they really really struggled and so um that'll be that'll be something that kind of comes to the table but we can really only speculate it's weird smu's played three games tcu's only played two and tcu really hasn't played a real game you know last week purdue had their starting quarterback out they had three defensive starters out um, and it just felt like the air was out of that team when TCU played them. And so you've got that. And then you've got the quality concerns that come from a group of five program that uh, playing, you know, Arkansas State, we don't know how good they are. Texas State, they're bad. UNT was good last year, lost an offensive coordinator, might be OK this year. We're not sure. And so there's a lot of uncertainty coming into this matchup. It'll be interesting to see what what forces prevail, because right now, you know, you could almost see any story TCU runs over SMU, SMU passes and pulls away and TCU can't come back. It's a shootout in the in the fourth quarter. All sorts of things that you could plausibly plausibly believe between these two teams. Yeah, I think you're going to see it all. Uh, this is a game that I think is going to be close and 
Um, I think it's a credit to the talent upgrade for, for SMU. I think uh, for the first time they have a, the quarterback edge um, in this game. I don't think anybody can sit here and say, okay, well, TCU doesn't know who their starter is, and they could be starting a new freshman or they could be playing you know, transfer and uh, look, look at what Shane Bouchelle's done and, and not think that. Um, but you know, the thing is, is, is that SMU is going to have to kind of um, be able to handle the, the wave of, of um, I, I, I guess, uh, athleticism and, and, and size and, and all those things that TCU kind of normally has over them and weather that a bit in the second half early on, stick with it, and then see where kind of the chips fall late, late in the game. And, and they can't let it get you know, to a two-possession type of game where they're trying to be one-dimensional and have to come back. they got to just hang in there. Um, and if they do that, I mean, I think they'll have a, definitely a really, really good chance to win the football game. I think Gary Patterson, if you, if you get him candidly, he would tell you, I think this is an SMU team that can beat TCU. Um, there's, there's a lot of question marks on TCU still, and um, SMU has some question marks as well, but this isn't the SMU team of, of years past. They've got talent. They've got depth. Um, we'll just see if it's good enough to beat a TCU team that's probably a quarterback away from being one of the, the best in the Big 12. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, let's look at the game from this standpoint. Um, SMU's best-case scenario, what happens that if we look and see the box score and SMU won by two touchdowns on, on uh, Saturday, why did that happen? What's SMU's best-case scenario this weekend? I think forcing Max Dugan or Alex Delton into a couple interceptions, um, a, couple, a, a few turnovers, playing a clean football game where they don't have any turnovers, um, maybe a, a special teams play from C.J. Sanders. But I think many, many times, I don't think you're going to get all those things to go your way. Um, but I think the realistic thing that they can do is force turnovers and, and then capitalize on them with touchdowns in the red zone. When they get down there, they can't be kicking field goals. SMU's already had a ridiculous time uh, this season kicking field goals and extra points. Um, so if they get down the red zone, they've got to capitalize with touchdowns. And... Um, that, that's kind of the, the name of the game. I think touchdowns in the red zone and, and forcing turnovers would, would give SMU a really good shot at winning the game. Definitely, yeah. I've seen uh, four missed extra points this season. Feels unbelievable to start the season for SMU. Um, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, so I think I think that's kind of what's going to happen for SMU is they're going to be able to convert drives and that and and turning turning opportunities because they have big plays. You know, last week against. Uh, uh, against Texas state, all seven of their touchdown drives involved a play of at least 20 yards. And so that explosion I think is going to happen. That's inevitable. They're going to get big plays, but against a higher quality, you know, potentially a higher talent defense, they're really going to have to convert in the red zone. And so I think that comes down again to turnovers and then converting these scoring opportunities uh, with touchdowns, not field goals. And that's how SMU will win. What is your prediction for this weekend? What do you think happens? I, I've, I've said this, and I've said this about SMU's team last year. I thought they were a quarterback away from being in the conference championship. And I mean, you look back at last year, and they just didn't get it done offensively against Memphis. Um, they then folded their tents against Tulsa. And, and look, I think so much of this team revolves around the attitude of Shane Bouchelle and what he's brought in. And it's so different than Ben Hicks. It's not – people from the outside kind of look at – what Ben Hicks did, and they say, okay, all-time league passer. Well, if you really watched SMU, you can see why so many people were frustrated with Ben during his time here. And 
um, as much of it as, as uh, it was attitude as much as anything. And uh, with Shane, it's just night and day. He's a team captain. He came in and earned that right away. It's a veteran group. Um, a lot of these guys have played a lot of SMU TCU games. I think with the depth that they have and, and just kind of the overall team that they have, um, I just think this is the year that they somehow get it done. I, I can see like a 27-23 type game and um, SMU winning it. I, I just think right now the, the quarterback edge for me is is going to be the difference. And um, I think SMU could force a couple turnovers. Definitely. Um yeah, so the the other question that's kind of on everyone's minds this weekend with uh, with this game is, you know, this is the last time that SMU and TCU are on contract to play this game. Um, and I think we can all say, yes, this is probably going to keep going on. But uh, should, in your, in your opinion, should TCU keep playing SMU? Is this rivalry good for both teams? Uh, does it benefit SMU? And, uh, and, and should it keep going? I think I may have lost you. I just got a mute symbol on the microphone. All right, here we go. I'll answer your oh, question. Sorry. No worries. Yeah, so I think fans get frustrated when they see it's you know not on the contract or not on the schedule of footballschedule.com, but both, both of these schools are private schools. They don't have to release contracts. You can't foil the contracts and see where they stand. Um, this, this series isn't going anywhere. Both coaches have said that. Um, from what I've been told, it's been extended. They're just, they just haven't announced anything, and I don't know if they're going to or whatnot. But it, this this game isn't going anywhere, especially with these two head coaches. Uh, both had a lot of respect for each other. Um, both, I think, understand the rivalry and what it means to both sides. And look, I mean, I, I think when SMU wins, it probably benefits them a little bit more. But I don't think anyone sits here and 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 probably thinks that this rivalry is is for the most part going to become this back and forth type thing. I think it's going to kind of stay for the most part. It'll be more competitive. I think if SMU continues to trend the way they are under Sunny Dykes, but um, it's still going to be, I, I mean, so often TC is just going to have better athletes and, and a more talented team. So I think SMU can benefit more from it when they win the game, but um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a game that I think both schools enjoy playing. I know, for example, you'll see basketball return to playing each other next year. That was kind of a uh, thing that I think both head coaches that they couldn't come to an agreement to play both got their wrist slapped pretty good by by school administrators. <laughs> uh, um, so you'll see it, you'll see it back. Uh, it just they're private schools; they don't have to release anything, and so people are always going to say, "Oh, it's not under contract." Well, it's it's under contract from what I've been told. Interesting. Very cool. Um. Great. Well, uh, Billy, thanks so much for for coming on, man, um, and talking about talking about TCU SMU. Um, what other games are you watching this weekend? Oh, uh, I think one one will be LSU Vanderbilt. I also cover LSU for twenty four seven, so oh, I'll be man. watching. That. I'll be doing that. Um, Notre Dame Georgia is one I've got my eye on. Of course, big big playoff implications there. Um, so much of the time when you, when you're in this business and you cover games, you kind of get caught up into time slots and things like that. And so it'll be uh, LSU, uh, LSU uh, uh, Vanderbilt to start off the day and, and probably something in the corner of my screen 
uh, <laughs> watching them, uh, you know, at that. And then um, it'll be TCU, SMU, and then it'll be Notre Dame, uh, Georgia, and then probably some Pac-12 after dark. Whatever, whatever's on late night, I'll, I'll definitely be watching. For sure, yeah that that late slide is it's, that late slot has been pretty pretty awesome this year to come home and have that have that last beer that maybe I shouldn't have and uh, and just watch something weird happen football wise it's been pretty great um, definitely cool so uh, Billy where can people find you on the internet and follow your work and get more of your your football insight yeah you can follow us at ponystampede.com, part of the twenty four seven sports network and then follow me on Twitter at Billy Embody. Awesome. We'll definitely uh, direct some people there. Thanks so much, man. Enjoy your uh, enjoy your football weekend and uh, enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. It was a good time.